Hey there, Steve Enough. <laughs> Steven Enough? Is it Steve Enough or Steven Enough? I feel like you can... We're all Steve Enough. <laughs> this is Eniosh. How are you doing? Doing well. This is Steven. We have to do this again. Round two. Barbie Boogaloo. I am going to take the two recordings we're going to do and like mash them together in a stitch-up Frankenstein monstrosity. So just a warning to all the listeners, you're going to get things cut out of order and shoved in your ears. I'm sure you'll do a good job. It'll, it'll be a pretty Frankenstein monster. I hope so. The pretty ones are the best ones because, as we all know, the most important thing in life is to be attractive. Right. It'll be the weird Barbie of podcast episodes. <laughs> awesome. Who was the best Barbie? Sidebar. When, we, when it showed Kate McKinnon in like the opening credits crawl. I was like, I really hope they just let her be Kate McKinnon, and they did. It was great. Weird Barbie was so awesome. She was great. Don't don't listen to this if you haven't seen the movie. The movie's great. Go watch it. Seriously. It's so much better, I suspect, if you are a bit surprised and don't have preconceived notions of what to expect going in. Just go in, take in the movie, and then then come back. Let me say what I am going to be trying to do here. This is a great piece of art which has a lot of different things in it that you can all see together or separately. And that's one of the great hallmarks of great art when whoever goes to see it draws something personally from it. If it manages to talk deeply to a variety of uh, people in different ways, then that's a, a sign of something that has that is doing something right. I think what I got hung up doing last time was like, I didn't want to diminish any other takeaway that people had. You know, if, if a Oh, the yeah. young girl went and saw this and felt empowered by Barbie. I didn't want to be like, well, actually, it's about Ken. Uh, right. No, so, no, I'm not here to shit on other people's stuff. I'm just here to be like, here's another cool way of looking at this, which might even be more interesting depending on how you think about things. 100%. All right. Are you aware of subversive art? I know what both of those words mean. <laughs> okay. You want to make something that is going to lure people in and then like shift their paradigm, show them things about the system that's fucked up. What I am going to argue for is a certain interpretation of what we are given that argues that this is a subversive piece of art, by which I mean it is trying to say something that you cannot openly say in a popular story and get it into people's eyeballs anyway. Incept it into their minds through something seemingly non-offensive or acceptable yes exactly that right on the biggest problem with subversive art is that lots of times it's just talking to the choir the people who seek it out are the people who already agree with it and the people who in theory the artist is trying to reach are people who aren't going to read it anyway so the the whole subversive part is not very subversive after all it's it's a lot of uh, applause lights usually there's the other side too that if you're too good at it no one gets it that as well yes the first problem with making subversive art is getting people to see it in the first place because if they know there's a message and they are against your message they are going to be on guard and they don't want to see it so generally when you're making subversive art lots of times the first and most important thing it has to do is be entertaining uh it has to be fun to watch it has to be a rollicking action movie or a comedy or something like that really helps if there is comedy in there because you can say things in comedy that you can't say with a straight face <laughs> the gesture is allowed to say things to the king that no one else can say you know right because of that, this movie has just a lot of fun hijinks. It's great to watch, even if you aren't looking for any sort of special hidden meaning. And it has some great comedy in there. It is it is a wacky goofball movie, which has a secret deep message, in my opinion, which is my favorite kinds of movies. I, I like wackiness and fun. I agree. And anything that can get you to experience a gamut of emotions from like literally laugh out loud to crying is yeah. a great, great job. And absolutely, you're right. This this lends itself to whatever kind of viewing you want to have, right? Mm -hmm. you know, if, if if I want to go see it again and I want to take a little drugs first, it will it'll be just as good of a time. It, it'll just be a different kind of experience, right? Totes, yeah. I, I mean, if I if I render myself incapable of of observing deeper <laughs> meaning, then I'll still right. be able to enjoy it. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Not necessarily that you want to snort a lot of coke and go watch it for some reason, right? That doesn't sound like a good time. <laughs> no, it does not. Did you re ever read Animorphs as a kid? Uh, no, but I saw the show. Oh, I didn't know there was a show. It was Power Rangers 90s quality. Okay. Uh, I know that the Animorphs book series are considered pretty subversive by people nowadays because they were kids turn into animals to fight off aliens kind of thing that is marketed at tweens. And if you keep reading the series, I have heard it turns into a really strong, like, anti-war complicity in atrocities sort of thing that delivers a powerful message hmm. to the kid audience in a way that the parents would not suspect. So I think that actually counts as subversive art. I think Harry Potter did something similar. 
We are talking about subversive art today because we just went to see Barbie. That's right. Separately, but we saw it this weekend. I had enough thoughts about it that I was like, oh, Stephen wanted to do two more episodes about some sort of art and I didn't know what to do. And you'd pitched me on something. And then I was like, I can pitch you right back now on something because I just saw a movie that made me feel feelings. And that is a sign of good art. Yeah, like high school. I had feelings again. It was great. <laughs> did you have feelings with uh, Barbie as well? Yeah, totally. What did you think of Barbie? I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm kind of letting you drive if you'd like. But I mean, I, I think it did basically everything right. It could so easily have fallen into like tried and boring, like patriarchy, bad boo. And mm -hmm. it didn't. The set design, the the atmosphere, the acting, it was all it was all killer. The music was amazing. Oh, my God. The music was so good. I stayed through to the very, very end of the credits just so I could hear all the music. And so I could let the movie wash over me. I was, I don't know, at the end of the movie, I was misty-eyed, and uh, the more I ruminated on it, the more, like, emotional I became. It was it was an intense evening for me that night after I saw the movie, um, which is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it. All I knew about it was that it was PG-13 starring Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. I figured it wasn't, like, there was too much hype about it for it just to be, like, Birds of Prey, you know, like that forgettable Harley Quinn movie. See, I loved Birds of Prey, but that's because I was the target audience, and also I love Harley Quinn so very, very much, which is also the reason I will not watch another fucking episode of the HBO <laughs> Harley Quinn series after the way they ended the last season. Womp. You know, a good example that was actually totally forgettable of like the thing that's doing it totally wrong was uh, She-Hulk. Oh, yeah, I heard that was terrible. Oh, it was awful. I couldn't finish it. It actually put me off to like all the Marvel TV series. That's the one where it's just like, you know, every guy is just like this mouth breathing, ass grabbing shit bag. It's not even trying to be subtle, but it's not it's not not subtle in the way that this movie isn't. Right. Right. When he says, you know, pass me a brewski beer like he's it's, it's, <laughs> it's supposed to be in your face. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. I read your excellent post on the cine, cine narrative dissonance. Uh, yeah, which I loved because I, I fell in love with the word ludonarrative dissonance the second I became aware of it. When did you first hear it? Uh, worth the candle. Oh, okay, cool. That's the delightful phenomena where the gameplay mechanics or the gameplay itself doesn't jam with what the story is trying to do with what the narrative is doing. And this this presents itself. Tell me if I'm on the wrong track in a game where it's like Fallout 4 is a perfect, perfect example you wake up from crowd preservation and you had like this brief flash of, a, of, a, of being awake during crowd preservation where your spouse was shot and your baby was stolen. What you wouldn't do in the situation in the meantime is help these random settlers rebuild their thing and track down <laughs> this person's kajigger and chase, you know, butterflies or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Same problem with Skyrim. Good games get around this, like uh, God of War and Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, where your butterfly chasing isn't just fucking around, you're training. He's not just killing time. He, he's practicing and getting good armor for the final conflict. And like in Skyrim, you can get married and adopt kids. And it's like there's a you know, world ending dragon just over the horizon, but you're going to fuck around. So anyway, that, that's the that's the ludonarrative dissonance. It was first noticed in games because it's not uncommon for games to try to tell a complex real story with real humans that are struggling with issues. But the core gameplay loop for a lot of games just defaults back to good old kill tons of dudes because, you know, it's simple, it's easy, it's fun. And so when you have this person like wrestling with what it means to be human in a, in a cutscene and then going out and just slaughtering tons of people without compunction a few seconds later, there's a little bit of dissonance there. Yes. Which is why in all the Avengers movies, they fight CGI armies of robots or aliens. In the early Iron Man movies, he, he kills bad guys, you know, humans. Mm -hmm, uh, and mm -hmm. so, some of them are just henchmen, you know, who... You know, there's there's a great one in Iron Man 3 where he's like going to kill the last guy. And he, the guy just drops his gun. And he's like, I don't even like working for these guys. They're weird. And he just leaves. Oh, neat. I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you at, at uh, too much length. So cinema narr narrative dissonance split off from that, uh, derived from that later on. Basically the same kind of thing where the script says one thing, but then what the camera shows you clashes with that horribly. Did you ever watch the um, Lindsay Ellis thing about Megan Fox in the Transformers movie? Rings a bell talking about how like... She's actually like a badass mechanic, but no one notices that because boobs. 
Yes. If you sit down and you read the script, you're like, Transformers is a feminist movie. One of the main characters is the the woman, and she is the one who was raised by her dad. She has all this mechanic knowledge. She fixes the Transformers. She is the one that can relate to them on an automobile level. There is a case to be made that she was supposed to be the true hero of the movie, right? If you look at it on paper. When you actually watch the movie, what the camera does is ignore all her capabilities, all her backstory, all her car expertise and focus just on her tits and on her ass constantly body pans all the time it treats her like that is the only thing that's important about her despite the fact that as written she's an interesting and involved character in the story Lindsay ellis makes the point that it doesn't matter what is on the paper it's what the camera does to make the audience feel things that actually matters and what the camera did and what it made the audience feel was look at the pretty hot girl she's so nice to look at ha 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 and not pay attention to anything else about her which does a huge disservice to the character but i think this is exactly the same thing that happens in barbie except for a lot of movies it's a problem but uh anywhere you have a problem you also have an opportunity this is where I think Barbie takes advantage of this to slip in what they actually want to say under the cover of being an acceptable message for, for people. What I think is going on here is that the the surface plot is about Barbie going to the real world, seeing that actually it's not a great girl power world like she thought it would be, then coming back to her world and finding out that it's been infected by the patriarchy as well which is horrible, and she cleanses it of the patriarchy by tricking Ken, and everything goes back to being good ever thereafter. The surface message of this is supposed to be like a criticism of the older feminism that focused on providing positive role models and just being encouraging and upbeat and optimistic about the future, rather than focusing on like rooting out systemic prejudice and seeing nefariousness everywhere and fixing that through, I don't know, scolding people it's it's (laughs) as you can tell i have some issues with the current wokest philosophies you know speaking as somebody mainly on the outside the first version does just seem better however i am able to say that from the position of not being a girl right yeah i I could totally understand that if i was if i was in a different position i might feel differently so yeah she gets yelled at by a sullen teenager about how she fought the patriarchy wrong so she goes back to barbie land and oh my god the patriarchy has taken over there she repents of her ways and adopts the correct attitude, which is to lecture her fellow Barbies on the evils of the patriarchy and of oppression and inequality, then they win and everything is great. And she gets to have the anti-sexism system implemented where they redistribute all power to Barbies. <laughs> one quick note and one caveat. Yes. The, the the kid that she has the argument with, basically she said like, life isn't great for women or whatever, like you didn't actually do your job. They put in the words at every single point to say the correct thing like on paper it looks right but what the camera actually shows us is not that it honestly feels like it might have been intentional because all the time when they have words the words are like this is what you say when you are in feminist class this is uh the correct thing to go on about and yet the actual world they portray is one where barbie has everything and is loved by everyone and has no problems and even in the real world she has nothing that she fears I almost think that that is why the words are in there in the first place to give it that cover of legitimacy. When I first walked out of the movie, I was like, that movie was great, except for all the boring speeches that were given several times, the monologues. I consider it the um, Atlas Shrugged problem. Atlas Shrugged has a 77-page monologue in it uh, where the protagonist tells us the entire theme and philosophical underpinnings of the story. It's near the very end, and it's a absolutely unnecessary because if you've been reading the story at all you've already picked up on all these themes you know what the philosophy is you have lived in this world and had it amply demonstrated to you why the bad things are bad and the good things are good like have some fucking faith in your reader you don't need to spell it out like this right barbie at first i thought yeah they had the atlas shrug problem but then i was like no no it didn't because the things that they said were not portrayed in the movie at all. And in fact, they're kind of the opposite of what was portrayed in the movie. And that's when I realized, oh, maybe they did that on purpose so that they could show and get the uh, message that they actually wanted to get across uh, and yet still have cover as like, no, we're totally feminist because we said all the feminist things. But like, do you 
do you remember very much of anything that was said? Like when she met the high school student? What I thought was funny about the little girl was like, there are at least three occasions where she just says like what I'm assuming Gen Xers use as like generic insults. Yeah, at the end of that exchange at the cafeteria, she calls Barbie a fascist for no reason. Right? <laughs> yes. It's like that, yeah, that's, that was that's great. Just what kids call people they disagree with. Yeah. Generic insult. Doesn't mean anything. And there was some point at the Ken's Casa, whatever it was called. Mojo Dojo Casa House. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> Where she said something. And I can't remember what that one was. But then in the car, uh, it was actually America Ferrera's actual husband. Um, and he says, uh, si se puede. The little girl says, that's, that's appropriation. It's actually not. If appropriation means anything, it's not this. What what is it that he said? I think that's yes, we can. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's it's it's, a, it's an empowering political statement, and I think that's what America says was something along the lines of like it's a political statement. Is it appropriation because he tried to speak her language? I certainly like hope the not. language of his wife that he loves. Well, that's the thing is the kid is actually meant to be her criticisms. Don't oh, mean the kid anything. is a joke. I think the kid is a joke, a mouthpiece for dumb, you know, youth wokeism. Yeah, and comedic relief at that, which is a great take on it. That's my take on it. And I would say that when she gets back, it's not that I, I don't think the brainwashing just disparages the patriarchy. I think it it reminds them of the struggles of womanhood, which is distinct. It's deliberate. It's directly related. They don't deprogram them by saying men suck. They deprogram them by saying women have a lot to deal with and we've overcome it. And we're actually awesome. We're not, you know, slaves. That's, that's a fair point. I mean, it, it, all, it always starts out with... Um, being a woman really sucks, but you're right that they then eventually get to, and we overcome it. That was like the tightrope where I thought it was going to fall off, but I, I think it actually navigated that pretty well. That's the part where it could have just been men suck and women have it so bad. There's no advantages. It's all terrible, but I can't remember her name, but America Ferrera was the mom. Her actual like speech thing is it's aimed at women and it, and it applies to them, but it, I think it, it does apply to everybody, right? So everyone, everyone can find something in it. The speech was great. Every single thing that she stated either has a flip side thing for for men that is just as shitty or could just be directly applied to men as well without changing a single word. It, it was one of those speeches that's like, yeah, yeah, this is a thing that sucks about being a human in a society. And it's not fair. Sometimes it's good to get a little mad about something. Or a lot mad about something. What I want to be careful to to not do here is just is to say that like I don't think that it was intended to apply equally across everybody. They actually have all those problems at a higher degree. So I, I'm, I don't want to co-opt the entirety of that and say it, it applies equally. There's no way it wasn't intentional to be as generally wide sweeping as possible. I don't want to claim that it wasn't directed and more applicable to half the audience, right? And I can't remember all of them. You know, they do like a kind of a flash montage of them of the deprogrammings, but I don't think any of them are like, and by the way, men also suck. I think that was actually explicitly not part of the deprogramming. It is. You don't think it's implied that they're saying we have all these demands placed upon us? It might be implied, but the fact that it's not explicit and that it's not saying, and this group sucks and it's their fault, that at least made the movie a more enjoyable viewing experience for me. I'm sure you can relate, but when you watch a movie that tells you that you suck as a person, it makes it less fun. And when it, when it tells you that loudly, it, it makes it even less fun. So the fact that this didn't do that made me able to enjoy all the deprogramming scenes. Honestly, to me, that is part of the subversion thing. The whole point of this movie is to dress it up in feminist tones. I think the cinema, cinema narrative dissonance that the movie uses is that despite the fact that we are told all these things by people in the movie, by, you know, the teenage girl saying everything is terrible, you haven't changed anything, the patriarchy controls everything, by the man saying, oh yeah, we still have patriarchy, we just hit it better. And getting several speeches about that several times is that we never actually see that. The camera shows us a different world from what we're told. Similarly to how like we're told Megan Fox is this master mechanic and has all this background from her childhood, but all the camera ever shows us is dumb hot girl. The Barbie camera does kind of the opposite, where it tells us, like, the patriarchy is terrible and is oppressing women, men rule everything, but then the camera actually shows us a really nice real world, actually. It's sunny, it's clean, everybody seems happy and fulfilled. There's not that many problems. Barbie, throughout the entire movie, is respected and empowered and strong. The only time we don't get that is when we first show up in the real world, and there's the obligatory... Women suffering under the patriarchy scenes, which have to be in all woke movies now, where first the woman is catcalled and then she is groped. In most movies, there's also a scene where she is uh, denigrated at her work and some men take the credit for something she did that is genius. But Barbie doesn't have a job in this movie, so they couldn't get that third one in. Right. If she, if she had done something, a guy would have tried to take credit for it. 
Absolutely. In that 45 seconds where they crammed all that in, they didn't they didn't include that part. Yeah. And it felt not only like they were doing like, okay, we have to do this because we're trying to fly un- under the woke radar, so we're putting it in. But more importantly, like they were both played off as jokes, basically. The catcalling by the four guys was like rapid fire, one after the other. They didn't even stop for breaths. And then when she's like, we don't have any genitals even, they're like, yeah, that's cool, man. Whatever. Like, we, we don't care. <laughs> sure. You know, we're we're kind of piggish jerks, but we're not like closed minded assholes. If you guys don't identify <laughs> right. with anything. Yeah. You know, go nuts. We're not we're not here yeah. to judge. Right. <laughs> we're just we're playing the role of asshole construction worker. You know, we, we, what do you expect, man? Right. <laughs> the the groping was less funny, but she turned around and slapped him immediately, which is objectively the correct thing to do. And then we see her being uh, booked in jail. With, I guess, the implication being that they beat the shit out of him so hard that they had to be arrested for assault instead of him. Uh, did you notice this is unrelated to the point you're making, but their fingerprints were just dots? <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, man. As it is, like, she had what probably encompasses an average range of experiences for, for a girl in that situation. But it was all crammed into 45 seconds rather than being spread across weeks or months or years. Just to hit it again, the only unbelievable unbelievable part of it was the piggish but awesomely woke construction guys. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> they were delightful. That scene was made believable by the fact that we know it's not like that all the time. Um, or rather, not made, not made shitty by pretending that was the case all the time. We can just say it wasn't She-Hulked. So it does a pretty good job of realistically portraying the world as much as it can within the confines of, you know, you, you've got a few dozen minutes in the real world and this is a comedy show. Right. Yeah, they get that out of the way and then they show a really great world, which in addition to just being good, as far as we can tell, Ken actually gets respect and is treated like a person. And I touch on this a whole lot in the original recording, so I'm going to uh, paste this in here. What does Ken find when he walks into the real world? <laughs> Attention. And people wanted to talk to him. People, not in a sense, needed him, but although that's how he felt when someone asked him what time it was, but he mm-hmm. felt valued for being who he was for like the first time ever. He finally found that he has some value as a human being. Right. That says a lot about Barbie World, in my opinion. That just the fact that, oh my God, people treat me like a person here was a huge thing for him. It was. Ken realizes that there is a way that life can be where he is actually valued as a person. And this is a huge revelation to him. He falls in love with the fact that people will treat him like a human. And he calls this the patriarchy because that is what he is told that it is called. I think this is one of the first clear indications that this is an anti-feminist movie that treating men as if they are people is called the patriarchy by the movie for the entire rest of the movie. Do you want to quickly outline what that is? Cause I think I've only read old stuff like the stuff that you and I probably read from that was written in the seventies, eighties and nineties. The older stuff was that uh, women should be treated as equal humans this, uh, to men. Yeah. That, that, that's the version I was taught. So this clearly isn't anti that. No, no. The newer versions is that uh, women are superior to men and they sh- the world would be better if they ran everything. Men are kind of trash and should be treated as such. Okay. And this is the thing that I guess is like exists on Twitter. This isn't like a real thing that people advocate for with any serious clout or respectability. Uh, but just lots of noise. N- it's certainly a thing that people do advocate at times and some of them being like people in academia or positions of power. Okay. I'll, I'll take your word for it. I'm, I'm sure it's out there. It's just, I'm wondering if this is like a fringe that gets a lot of, of volume or if it's just a, or if it is like actually the center. And It depends on where you go, right? There's places where this is obviously not at all a thing, but there's a lot of areas, especially in blue enclaves where this is just a common joke that uh, all men are trash or kill all men. Oh, I've heard that. Along those lines. I, as far yeah. as I've understood it, people say that to express a sentiment, not because they really think that's that, that should be the case. What do you think the sentiment of kill all men, men are trash is? So, to be clear, this does hurt my feelings when people say it. I'm not I'm not acting like it doesn't, but it can't literally mean let's let's wipe out, you know, four billion people. Sure. What's the sentiment though? It, it's it's an applause light for um boo men. Yes. 
I think the message can only be as deep as that dumb slogan makes it sound, right? One of the major things that Barbie is saying is that uh, a matriarchy is just as bad as a patriarchy. They're flip sides to the same thing. That is a thing that I never heard growing up, or I, I directly heard the opposite. I mean... So it was interesting to see that. I've never heard anyone advocate for an actual matriarchy, like actually. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've heard people say it, just like I've heard people say kill all men, but I've never seen anyone pick up a gun and start doing the project. I mean, I've I've heard many people literally advocate for a matriarchy in my own life. That's weird. I mean, in meat space or on the internet? No, in meat space, you, you know some actual people that are like walking internet people, though, so... Look, I, I I grew up in a, a blue enclave in the 90s. All I heard was about how men are dumb and women rock. It seemed normal to me at the time. I got those messages as a growing young man as well, but I never heard anyone say like, oh, okay. I, I've heard people say, but I don't think anyone ever, like the, anyone's ever taken seriously. Like, you know, anyone who's like, oh no, this race should be in charge instead of white people or something. Anyone who's saying that isn't worth taking seriously because that's that's obviously not the solution to the problem. I had many cases where people said the world would be better and there would be no wars if women were in charge and they should be. Not just people I knew, but literally people in power on radio or on TV with microphones. Yeah. My teachers, my professors, like this, not, not all of them, obviously, but this was not uncommon. I don't know if they've actually thought through what that would mean. Well, they didn't think through it even as much as the people who did Barbie thought through it. No, I certainly guess not. And I think that kind of shows us, if you're paying attention, like what the real movie is. Because in my contention, Barbie does not have any wants in this movie. Anything that she strongly desires that she has to go on a quest for. She doesn't have any real problems at all. Her problems are absolutely superficial. In the world that we are presented, all of Barbie's problems are fake problems. Her waffle is burnt and her shower is cold and her feet are flat and uh yeah she i guess she's having thoughts of death or something which okay i mean we we all have those they all kind of suck but these are not like problems problems right these are jokes that the audience can laugh at and that motivate her to go out into the real world and do a real thing they end up in the real world and barbie continues to not really have any problems or serious motivation she doesn't take any real actions for most of the movie. It's not until she goes back to Barbie land that she does a few things. She does have power and privilege everywhere she goes. She doesn't really have a climax to her arc because there isn't really an arc. There's She doesn't grow or change very much throughout the whole movie, which, you know, is fair because she doesn't need to. She's already in a great position. I I, I think you're right on, on all marks. There was something that came to mind, uh, if I my for just a second. Yeah, uh, please do. I've been talking a bunch. No, no, you're great. So two quick things. One, there was an interesting part with, you know, the human world being pretty good. When she goes to go talk to her, what she thought was her, uh, her person, the girl, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. she's warned by another classmate, like, oh, they suck. They're going to rip you apart. That actually might be indicative of like the major problem that Barbies thought they solved. Like women aren't supporting each other. They're actually just ripping each other apart. And then the, like her, all of her problems being superficial, they, they are when you compare them to our problems, like here in meat space. Yeah. But if you live in utopia and suddenly your stuff's falling apart, that just is your biggest problem. And so, you know, like a cold shower, if you've never had one would suck. It's all, it's like borderline painful, right? You know, again, it's like, man, I wish my worst problem was a cold shower, but in a world where that was my biggest problem, it's still a problem. Her, her, her utopia is crumbling. Just because she isn't experiencing the worst thing ever doesn't mean she doesn't have problems, is what you're saying. Pretty much. I, I, but like in the context of living in a utopia, when, when it is falling apart, that does represent like a serious issue. When it, where is it going to stop? Right. Presumably, she would go insane and die. She'd be, she'd be castigated worse than Weird Barbie. If we don't pay attention to it, maybe eventually we live in uh, the Mad Max world because uh, people didn't take it seriously early on. Right. <laughs> uh, I do think, however, that that is less pertinent because we also see at the exact same time in the exact same place actual oppression and people with actual problems which uh, brings me to my second part the secret real protagonist of the movie which i think is ken because ken has real problems he is homeless maybe no one knows where he sleeps no one cares where he sleeps no one cares about ken at all barbie does not know a thing about ken and seems to think that he just kind of sucks the Kens have no rights in their society, and that's the way everybody likes it. The Kens are living under a totalitarian uh, matriarchy. It's great for the Barbies. The Kens 
just get to suck it up and try to make the best they can out of it. I think they do a pretty good job considering what they got. Life isn't terrible. They aren't starving to death. The, the, the weather is nice, but they are the actual oppressed underclass in the world at the beginning. Again, I don't, I don't want to be so adversarial during this, but it wasn't explicitly that. What it was, was it was just celebrating women and that was all. There wasn't an explicit tone of boo men. It's what happens when you, when you forget to include everybody, not when you are remembering to exclude some people. It intentionally excluded men, not just forgot to include them. They like their men to be dumb and pretty, as they specifically said at the end of the movie, when they were reinstating the matriarchy, but giving men a little more rights. They're like, so we get at least one seat on the Supreme Court? And they said, no, fuck no, don't, don't be retarded. <laughs> you can have some lower court position somewhere. It is not um, a secret that they are excluding the men in, in Barbie land. I think at the beginning it was unintentional. What it was really doing though was like this, this was essentially like when women got the right to vote and it's like, Oh, you mean like equals? <laughs> no. Right. Exactly. It, it was portraying a cartoonish patriarchy except with the gender flipped. But I, I guess what I'm saying is that that was once they realized they, that there was a problem. Then they kind of just decided to slowly try to solve the problem rather than solve it all correctly at once. But at the beginning they didn't, they weren't like, they weren't trying to put anyone down. They just were right. Is that not how patriarchy began? If when Barbie was asked, where do they all sleep? And she's like, they sleep on the beach where they belong. That would have meant that it was all on purpose. When she said she hadn't thought about it, that was actually the big clue to their so to, about like how their society was working about it, right? Their society treated them as less than human. Yes. Yeah, there was, but there, yes, but there was no, no one even thought yes, about there it. There was no malice in it, which somehow makes it better. <laughs> I, okay. When you said you don't know any people in real life who say this kind of thing, the crazy men are trash feminists. Unfortunately, I have been around those people my entire life from, I don't know, starting both from my peers and my my um, authority figures when I was a child all the way up until uh, my last relationship. It ended very cleanly, but painfully for me, uh, as, as you are aware. She was one of those people that said that, which is a weird thing to look for in a partner. Yeah, yeah. I mean... When you're the person that I was then, uh, it seems um, good. It seems good, actually. No, I mean, we all, we all grow and stuff, but also, like, you know, we all find what we need. And she was, you know, she obviously didn't express that sentiment to you all the time. You know, you were one of the good ones, as a delightful short story I read once said. Yeah, the short story that you read, uh, that I wrote, one of the good ones. That's the name of the title, by the way. It's not one of the good stories. They're all good. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the story is titled one of the good ones. Obviously, I'm I'm not an orc, nor is there any magic in the real world, nor have I been in a physical altercation since I reached puberty. But in terms of the gender discourse that happens in that short story, basically everything that is in the story is something that I was either had it said to or said it myself. Like I was personally involved in that in real life in some way for all of those with a little bit of rephrasing. So, yeah. Yeah, the um, the pathos in that story was real. Like you, you felt the I forget the orc's name, but you felt his turmoil. Like he thought he was thinking an untruth, and I'm glad you were able to write that character because it shows that you are you are becoming him. Oh well, thank you, and thanks for saying that you could feel the pathos. That's can be hard to do with words, so I'm glad it came across. I feel you when you, you know you say that people, especially you know writers, don't get enough feedback because it just goes out there and they're like, no one says anything. Yeah, that's got to be infuriating because you know it's got you, you, you want to believe it's it's moving lots of people and it is, right? Yeah, but you, but, but, but I mean, it's nice to get some proof, <laughs> right? Exactly. I've come to accept it for what it is. Like you, you'll never know. And every now and then, just something out of the blue shows up in your inbox, and you're like, "This thing made a huge impact on me." I'm like, "Oh shit, that's awesome! I'm glad to hear that." Even if it only worked for one people, but from what I hear, for everyone that you get, there's like ten out there that never get sent. So. Probably a hundred, honestly. The number of authors I've contacted is like two. Okay, yeah. And I've read lots of stuff. Three, I guess, if I include you. So I, I am flattered to be thought of as an author, I guess. <laughs> Literally an author. His people are politically oppressed. They don't have any power. They don't have any property. Interestingly, except for stereotypical Ken, all the Kens seem pretty happy. And the same thing happens when they flip the world to its mirror Kenland. All the Barbies seem pretty happy, except for stereotypical Barbie. But both the dumb Barbies and the dumb Kens in the former world are really vapid. It's like they had a part of their brain turned off. I'm not sure how bad of a world it is if your brain is turned off. 
my parents' pet dog is super happy, <laughs> and they treat him like an animal because he is, but he's dumb and he's happy, and that's great. And so maybe like being a Ken, uh, as long as you aren't like the freaky Ken who actually notices and cares about things, might be like being a pet dog and actually be pretty great. There's probably something to that, but the, the slope slides pretty quickly into wireheading, right? Yeah. But Socrates, better a happy man than, or better a, uh, a sad man than a happy pig. Yeah, you know? yeah. So there's something to be said about like, even if you could be happier, if things were different, it, you mm-hmm. might be actually living a better life, even if you're less happy. Yeah, that's true. And regardless of all that, the camera is showing us a real human person who is being actively oppressed and denied the ability to grow and be meaningful and happy in his life. And so despite the fact that the other kids might be happy, the one we identify with in the movie is the one who is of the slave class. Right. He also wants something. Uh, as we said, he wants uh, Barbie's love. Uh, he is proactive in not only going, tagging along with Barbie to the real world, but like when he discovers that he can have the treatment of a human and the respect of a human, he runs back to Barbie land right away. He's like, I am going to show this to all my bros. We can actually live a good life and be real people. And he manages to implement somehow <laughs> this this uh, weird Ken version of patriarchy with horses in Barbie land. <laughs> so so he, he does things. We don't actually see how he takes over Barbie land, but it looks to be an entirely bloodless, nonviolent, and everybody is happy. <laughs> It um, also might literally be bloodless. So, <laughs> fair but, but right, it, did, it seemed like it was less violent than the Ken on Ken war. Obviously, this was less than ideal for uh, Margot Robbie's Barbie herself. I don't know how to feel about Ken Land because it was the flip version of Barbie Land, where now the Kens rule and we have the cartoon patriarchy instead of the cartoon mat- matriarchy. Yeah, it it was different, like tonally though. Which is which is interesting, right? Because Kenland was very specific, like very explicitly like bad, whereas Barbie Land was basically utopia. Can you explain how Kenland was bad? It well, I'm saying that like the movie made it feel bad, right? I I want to know how though because I agree with you that it felt bad, but upon objectively looking at it, everyone is happy, everyone is having a good time. There's less suffering in this world than in the previous world. Like when I really look at it, I'm like, what what is the difference? Why does it feel bad? It feels bad because it's male coded. Like, we've just gotten to the point as a society where anything that is male-coded is bad, and that's all you need to do. Like, if you want to portray a terrible society, portray a society where everyone is happy, but it's highly male-coded, <laughs> and that's how you know it's bad. I, 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 Like, it would have been different if some of the Barbies were unhappy with what they were doing, but we weren't ever shown that. Well, so I, I think, I, I, I'm sure there's good examples of what you're describing, where it's like, you know, everything's great, but because men are in charge, it's, it's bad. In this case, for me... They were the Barbies were happy, but they were lobotomized. The one of them was like, I don't even remember writing a book. Why did I get this award? It should be given to this Ken. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't a society where everyone's flourishing. Now to be clear, the Kens weren't flourishing before. Yes. The scope of their ambition was smaller. Like they didn't want to be astronauts or Pulitzer Prize winning authors. They just wanted to beach as hard as they could and get Barbie's attention. The, the Barbies had stuff taken away from them during the the reign of Ken. That's what made it bad. You hit on with the lobotomizing thing, the thing that actually made them bad. It took away the people that were there and replaced them with dumber people, probably. Yeah. It would have been interesting if they kept all of that and they were like actually just persuaded this the way things should be. That would have made the deprogramming harder. That would have made it a much more um, gray situation. All right. So um, we are we're back in Barbie land. Barbie land has been taken over by the Kens. Well, first of all, we are given uh, another speech, although this one was actually pretty good. The one given by America, which we commented on at the very beginning, that basically reminds us that the real world is not like the Barbie world. You can't just have one sex get everything it wants, because when one sex get everything it wants, the other sex is being oppressed. The real world is shitty and sticky, and there's a lot of compromise and just a lot of stuff that sucks that you have to deal with, no matter who you are. And it's given like entirely from the woman's perspective, but... Again, it is recognizable because it is a fair, honest portrayal of the real world. And as such, it has an... an There's universality to it, for sure. Thank you. That's that's what I was going for. Yeah, yeah. You, you could sub out, you know, uh, whenever any sex is in charge or any, any gender or any color of, of shade of human or whatever. We can't just have one group of people be in charge. It needs to kind of be everybody or a representative sample of everybody or something, right? Since that's basically impossible, the real world is sticky. That's the thrust of her point. I wonder if I could just reference her full speech somewhere, but 
I thought the interesting thing about that speech is that it actually does stick with you because this is something that was actually modeled throughout the movie that gender relations are hard and the real world is complicated and life can suck sometimes because life is complicated like that. So when she says it, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that's a good quick recap of what we've been shown. And then we see the plot to distract the Kens, I guess. I actually, I really uh, like that actually. <laughs> I see. I did too. I thought it was cute. Uh, I thought the most interesting thing to me was that the way they subverted the Kens is what one would call, if one was being uncharitable, a classic feminine wile where uh, you exploit your sexuality and uh, men's weak spot for women to get your own way, which is, I've heard it called a, a sexist trope before, and I kind of feel like it is but also like was it that they were intentionally putting in the sexist trope of the women being sneaky and using poison or whatever to get their way the most interesting part of all that for me was the way they did it was to tap into the men's desire to be useful to their community yeah to to help the people around them they're like oh tihi please help me with this thing and the kids are like yes I would love to help you. I can do something here to make the situation better. And then they get taken advantage of for the good in this case, because the, the Barbies are whisked away and snapped out of their thing. But the fact that their weak spot was they want to help people, I thought was lovely. I thought so too. And if it's frowned upon as a trope, I mean, it, it's a thing that I'm assuming happens on purpose with real people, but also definitely happens in fiction. Mm-hmm. The, the one that wasn't helpful, well, was kind of helping from, from only the Ken's point of view was you never seen The Godfather? Let's watch it, and I'll t- I'll tell you about it the entire time. Uh, yeah. That one that one hit me because I I do like watching stuff and I do like talking through stuff. I like pausing if you know if it's available for sure. I'm like fuck, they got me with that one, right? Um, <laughs> you like sharing your passion with other people? Yeah. What can I say? It's nice to be passionate about yeah, stuff. Here we are, you know, passionately sharing our excitement about this. Yeah. All right, so they they manage to deprogram all the Barbies, and then they do the number two most classic woman thing, uh, where you turn the men against each other. Which, again, it doesn't have to have been intentional. All this could just be an accident, because this is such a good story creator and someone who wants to faithfully show the world that it just happened that way. But it's such a trope that I have a hard time imagining she didn't know what she was doing. But they do, they turn the Kens against each other, and we get the awesome battle scene. What did you think about the beach invasion with all the Kens going at each other? It was well executed. It was great. Choreography was awesome. There was the bit where the Will Ferrell crowd was just trying to wade through it all and getting caught in the crossfire. Mm-hmm. The setup for it, you know, like putting them against each other was done in such a cartoonishly over the over the top way that <laughs> right. only would work in Barbie land. And they weaponize the men's emotions. That's that's the most, that's the, I guess the, the most typical women thing uh, that, that I was trying to put into words just a second ago that they manipulate people with their emotions by taking their love of Barbie and taking their love of this song and using that to get what they want. It does feel like a sexist trope. I don't, I don't know how it got in here, but this is why I think this about this movie. Well, consider how else could they have done it? If I spent a few hours on it, I'm sure I could have. This was a conscious choice. This is not someone like dashed off the script in one afternoon. No, no, for sure. I guess what I'm thinking though, is that like, if they did it by exploiting men's emotions, it's because that's the weapon that they had, right? They couldn't physically overpower them. So they mm-hmm. needed to do it another way. I mean, I agree with you. And that's that's realistic. And it's true. It's just, it's so weird because you would get called out for portraying that in any sort of other movie as a sexist thing to do. I'm, I'm wondering if like people are going to go for this movie for being anti-feminist or something. I'm sure some moron, someone will do that about literally anything. The message wasn't we're sneaky and can manipulate their emotions. It was that there, there's a wrong here that that needs to be set right. And we're going to heroically save the day with the weapons that we have. And since they don't have guns and they, and they can't fight them, they've got to make them fight each other. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, literally what they needed was to distract them. But if that takes a, a beach invasion to tie them up during voting day, then so be right. it. The thing that I thought when the beach invasion was happening was like, oh, okay, yeah, I understand why patriarchy now. Because if all the Kens had banded together, they could have just physically taken whatever they wanted. And I guess that's why patriarchy happened historically because you got a lot more physical power there and they they could have just done whatever they wanted if the barbies opposed them right like the only reason the constitution was upheld is because the kens are like oh yeah you you got us we play by the rules 
if the Kens had wanted to say, like, yeah, you voted, but fuck you, we don't care, what were the Barbies going to do about it? Just the display of raw, masculine, like, physical power on the beach snapped things into perspective for me, where I was like, oh, holy shit. This is why things turned out the way they did in the real world, and that's fucked up, and I don't like it. But uh, brave of them to portray it in the movie this way. Yeah, you know, I I thought about that. If there is a Barbie jail, we never saw it. And I sort of doubt Mattel ever made one, so it's a safe assumption that Barbie Lane doesn't have a prison. (laughs) So it's not clear what happens if the men don't want to uphold the Constitution. When it became clear that this wasn't really what the Barbies wanted, that none of them wanted it either, right? What they really wanted was for the Barbies to be happy. Yes, what they really wanted is for the Barbies to be happy and specifically to be happy with them. Right. All they want is the approval and the love of their Barbies. Like, they are the most stereotypical men in the world in that way. Importantly, they, they wanted that over merely just being, like, with them. Because they could have forced that, but they didn't. Yes, that was the beautiful thing that made me cry about the whole movie, was that Ryan Gosling's Ken, he just wanted Barbie to know him and to love him. She spent their entire, I don't know, all eternity of existence not caring about him at all. She didn't know anything about him. Because she didn't care to. Like, he wasn't even a human to her. And all this time, that's what he wants more than anything. And at the end of the movie, she finally understands him. Like, he gets what he wants in that she sees him in his entirety and thinks of him as a a whole person, a human. And then she's like, okay, I don't want that. That's fine. What you need in, in real life is to be able to be who you are. And if someone doesn't want that be okay with it. Like, find someone who does want you for who you are. And that's why we get the I'm Knuff, I am Knuff <laughs> shirt, which is the most beautiful thing because he comes to realize that he is who he is and once he's seen, if she doesn't like that, that's okay. He will go and he will find someone else and he is enough in his own self. But it took who knows how long before she ever even saw him then when she did see him, it destroyed their relationship because that wasn't what she wanted. It really hit me that he finally got everything he wanted and it ended up costing him his relationship just because that's the way life is. That's the way how the world works sometimes. Turns out you were not good for each other after all. And all he can really do is accept himself and accept that and move on. And he does. And like he's the person who had the character arc over this movie. He's the one who grew from this almost sniveling sort of please pay attention to me, I just love you kind of thing to getting what he wants and realizing that it's bad and growing into a person that can accept himself. He's the story arc of the movie. Whereas what what did Barbie do? How did she change? To go back to what you're saying about Ken, the whole bit with the end, what's great about it is like it's this argument could only ever happen in Barbie land, right? Because uh, he's like, no, it's Barbie and Ken. There's no just Ken on Earth. No one says that to you, but it feels that way a lot. In Barbie Land, they could have that conversation explicitly. She's like, no, look, your your self worth can't be tied up in me. Like you say that he lost his relationship. Like they never really had one. You That's know? true. Like she, he was an accessory the same way that like her her outfits were. Like quite literally. Yeah. And so like it, it's not like putting her down or putting him down. Like that's just actually what he was made for. He was made explicitly to just market and sell with her. He was her handbag. The point of him coming to terms like, okay, look, my my self-worth isn't defined by like the Barbie I'm into liking me. Yeah. And I think that was part of his character growth too, that he learned he didn't have to have Barbie. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm super into it. Real quick, what was the emotional climax of the movie? It was a crescendo towards the end, right? The With her talking with him after they've lost the war, the Kens, I mean, um, that was... The first beat of it, the second beat might have been, uh, I'm trying to remember the order of events. When does Rhea Perlman show up? She was, uh, I don't know she, who she that was is. The, she's actually Danny DeVito's wife, or at least was. Um, and she's about his height. She's that old, she's the old lady. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like Will Ferrell. Yeah. Her ghost keeps an office in the 17th floor. Um, mm. So when she shows up, that was actually really touching too. That, that's what actually made this movie play so well on all, like on all those levels was that it's both literal and metaphorical. Yes. Okay. Let, let me ask it this way. What was the climax of the Lord of the Rings? Uh, the last 45 minutes? No. Um, it was when uh, Mountain Doom explodes and Frodo and Sam are uh, going to die on that rock. Interesting. Okay. 
I would say that the climax, the emotional climax of the movie is when Frodo is going to throw the ring in, but turns away and says, fuck you, I'm taking this power for myself. And then Gollum jumps on him and tears the ring off and then is thrown into or falls into the lava after the struggle. Because that is when the big decisions that change everything are made. That's what everything has been leading up to. Yeah, I guess you're right. I when I when I'm asked the question, uh, what's the emotional climax? I'm asked, I, I I hear the question. What part made you cry the hardest? Oh no yeah. no 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 okay. no no. That, that, so what, what, what's yeah. what's the emotional climax? Like just what what was the heavy emotional beat that the movie was aiming towards? Or what has everything been building to that finally comes to a huge cathartic release? And then everything after that point is more along the lines of mopping up and closing out storylines and finishing off character arcs. What was the big thing that happens near the end that resolves the conflict? Okay. Well, let's hear your thoughts on where that was in Barbie. I think you may have already said the scene. It's the end of the dance-off between the two Kens, where the Kens are struggling with themselves they come to realize that they are enough in themselves, that they shouldn't be fighting against each other. They are beautiful and complete on their own. Like most musicals, it ends with the very end of the largest, most bombastic song in the musical. You get that release of all the emotion there. And then everything after that is like quick cut to the voting room. Yep, there's no men here. So we can quickly vote to give ourselves the vote. Great. And uh, tying up a few loose ends and then being like, Barbie, congratulations. You let Ken have his ending. So now you get to go to the real world and have your human body. Yeah, no, I can dig it. What's great about this actually is that I, th- I think another perfectly legitimate reading of of the mo- viewing of the movie wouldn't have that as the emotional climax. It would be Barbie be deciding to choose her own fate rather than just being what she was. And so I think I think that's a, a mark of a good piece of art is that you you can actually have two not just like everyone's opinions equally valid in like the the boring sense, but like an actual sense where. It can mean different parts can mean different things at different levels to different people. I think that is an amazing thing about this movie. And I love that because it lets many people enjoy it on many levels. But the level I enjoyed it on is the level that I'm bringing to no, this no, podcast. And, I, 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 and that's, I, I, I 100% dig it. I'm, I'm just thinking of like, um, could, I'm trying to think of like a, a bad take on a movie that someone could have that, you know, if someone's at the emotional climax of the movie of Lord of the Rings was, you know, the hobbits bowing to Aragorn. Like, right. okay, they're actually just wrong, right? So yeah, yeah. I, I, what I'm what I'm saying is that there that there are I think a lot of actual equally good answers to what was the emotional climax of this movie. Well, I think there's two good answers, at least two. The other one being when Barbie chooses to yeah become human J- to choose her own fate. It is in the sense of choosing to be human, and that time she does choose because she could have gone back to Barbie Land. It wasn't the fate, false choice that Kate McKinnon presented her with. I like it, and I and I totally dig your whole perspective on this. If I if I was combative at all, it was really. It wasn't honest expression of my feelings, but it was also just like, if I just patted you on the back the whole time, this would have been a very one-sided podcast. Yeah, fair enough. Do you remember the line in the musical uh, number where Ken says, anywhere else I would be a 10? Uh, Vaguely. I disagree with him. I, I like that sentiment, the whole, I have been wronged, I have been held down my entire life because of this awful place, I am treated like shit, where anywhere else I would be a capable person, but... I don't think he would be a 10 because he doesn't know anything. He doesn't have really any skills. He needs to develop himself more. I think he has the potential to be a 10. He was saying that he would just go somewhere else and be a 10. And I don't think he would be. But uh, the fact that he was kept as a butt monkey when he could have been a 10 is tragic as well. He could have had a life and been a person. It's interesting because Ryan Gosling is a 10. Yes, but Ryan Gosling is super accomplished. I mean, but it's funny because he kind of would be, he'd still be a 10 even if he didn't have a job. Like even if, even if he could only beach, but you're right. He, I, he's made I, more attractive by his, you know, esteemed career and, and all that. So I love that he just wanted to be, he just wanted to have some acknowledgement as a human, you know, and he thought that's what patriarchy was. So he brought it back. That's the part that hit me too. And I mean, again, a lot of parts hit me, but that part hit me as well. And it it was also just kind of wrapped in this whole, you know, delightful joke that he thought patriarchy was partly you know or at least mostly horses um yeah that's great <laughs> but uh yeah i mean it's you know he didn't so much you know it's not like he wanted to be in charge he wanted to be recognized he wanted to be like can someone just look at me 
that's yeah. that's and you could tell it was going to happen like the second he gets to earth right and she, mm-hmm. she's like i'm uncomfortable and he's like i'm loving it but it kind of clued where the movie might be going i'm glad it didn't sh- like try to show what the takeover was like because i don't think it would have been satisfying but you know i'm sure they would have thought of something actually the people who worked in this apparently were all very talented i guess it's a movie that you know when you hear they're making a barbie movie i didn't walk into it i, I walked into it knowing it was going to be something interesting my wife doesn't get that excited for most movies she wasn't a barbie barbie kid so it wasn't like, oh, look, a toy from my childhood. It wasn't me with the new Avengers. There was something else that was catching about it. So I knew something something interesting was going to happen. But I didn't expect it to speak to so many people so well on a such a good level. I, I, I thought that it was going to fall into like some of those, you know, she hulky pitfalls. And it totally mm-hmm. didn't. It turns out when you don't do that, you make a beautiful work of art rather than a steaming pile of dog shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What's fun with uh, the ending, too, is like, you know, I, I guess because it was the Barbie movie explicitly, it's not clear if Ken will get the same choice. Probably not. Um, but the thing is, he, he, won't, he wouldn't want it. I think he he's mostly content at the end. Like, he's in that scary spot that everyone is when they realize they've got to choose their own destiny. But it's not like he wants to throw everything away. It feels more meaningful from Ken because Ken is unmoored now. All he knows is that he has himself and now he gets to try to find himself he doesn't get the the plot armor and the the mentor figure and all that. He only has himself and he has to be enough because he doesn't have all the advantages that Barbie had. And that I think makes for an exciting kind of almost bittersweet ending. It's scary to be Ken. He gets to figure out what to do now. I, whereas it's not particularly scary to be Barbie. I like that a lot cuz at at some point everybody's Ken in that situation. Like whether it's graduating high school and it's like what do you want to do with your life you, people ask them have to ask themselves that question a lot and then sometimes there are situations where you kind of get some choices and that's a terrifying spot to be in what if i make the wrong choice you know how do i know i'm making the right one so yeah i think getting that was was really fun when you said that you know he didn't have the plot armor and stuff that barbie did i'm just trying to imagine the vague outline of how shitty a sequel would be called and ken they don't need to make a sequel called and ken because this was the ken movie <laughs> it was kenuff <laughs> yeah, Barbie was what got people to come and see the movie, but Ken was the one with the problems. Ken was the one with the agency. Ken was the one who saw what he wanted and brought it back and then learned through his failure that it wasn't actually what he wanted. He was the one who had the all is lost moment. He had the big emotional climax and he was the one who grew out of all this. Uh, Barbie was fun. I really enjoyed her. She had a lot of great lines and uh, she provided Ken the antagonism that he needed to grow. I agree with everything you said. I, I, I will just caveat that I do think that, uh, or I will add that like Barbie grew too. She grew, she outgrew Barbie land. It's true. Barbie, Barbie did grow a bit. But like you said, you know, it wasn't, she didn't have the all is lost moment. And that is an important part of the hero's journey. It is interesting that... Actually, I think the ending would have been worse if Ken went with her to the real world. Maybe if he went to the real world on a different car, right? And he went he went somewhere else. His whole thing for being a, being a complete journey is that he, he got to go home afterwards, wherever that is. Maybe they'll give the Ken's houses now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but again, what's interesting about it is that it's not merely like because they were cold hearted and decided that, you know, these, pe- these people didn't deserve rights. It's because I'm assuming Mattel didn't make Ken houses. The Ken's were literally an afterthought. That's what makes it such a great movie that they had this product given to them by the Mattel and they saw what they could do given those restrictions and they made this beautiful thing out of it. Yeah, I thought it was great. I want to watch it again. Me too. I I really wanted to watch it again before we recorded this, but uh, didn't have time. Yeah, it came out. I mean, I think movies come out like on Thursday nights, but this is the Monday after the opening weekend. So yeah, I saw it 48 hours ago, a little more than 48 hours ago. What I'm getting to at the end here is that there is that initial woke message that is what allowed the movie to get through because everybody wants to see that. No one's going to be complaining about it, except for apparently Ben Shapiro, who is dumb enough that he can't see through the surface, (laughs) the surface message, which is not supported by the camera at all. There's an actual real message beneath that that is trying to be snuck into our brains. And it's pretty simple. The world that we see, that we are presented in the movie, it's pretty good. The the message is like that the world we live in, the rich, educated Western world, is pretty good for most people. And sure, there's issues. And some people are assholes. 
And life sucks in various ways for various people, and it sucks differently for men than for women. And sometimes it sucks more for women. But sometimes it sucks for men too. Some men have it bad, and some have it really bad. A lot more than the people who crow about the patriarchy would want you to believe. And some women actually have it really good. Female privilege does exist, and very attractive females have relatively a lot of it, and they can use it for all sorts of things to make their lives better. They have ways of exercising that power and that privilege that men don't have, though vice versa as well. Men have ways of exercising male privilege that women don't have. Ultimately, it's basically just a a standard empowerment story, except it's aimed at the average man. It's like, yeah, your life sometimes suck and you feel powerless, but you don't have to. The really telling thing, I think, about all this is that you couldn't have that empowerment message aimed at a man in a popular movie nowadays. Like, the only way they could have this message is by slipping it in with a women's empowerment message instead. They had to have all sorts of lip service to supporting the work orthodoxy to get it in. And I don't think this should be a controversial message. And yet, here we are. Ah, It made me feel things, Stephen. Me too. I really enjoyed it. All right. I loved all this. Thank you for talking with me about it. Yeah, no, no. Thank you. Do you want to hear uh, the pitch for what we're doing next? What are we doing next? It was funny because you were like, hey, I want to do Barbie. I was like, perfect. I already got tickets. I figure movie for a movie, we'll do Guardians of the Galaxy 3 next. I'm kidding. Oh, I thought we were doing separate. Uh, oh, okay. I could hear your <laughs> your, your stomach fall, uh, the, or the pit in your stomach go down. No, we're going to do the first two episodes of Severance. There, there's a there's a story and there's sequence of events and mysteries and stuff in the, throughout the se- season, but the the central thrust of the interesting part, I think, is we can get to in the first couple episodes. But if you get through the first couple and you're like, oh, this is good, I'm going to watch the rest. And let's just wait until you watch the rest. And we'll do it then. Okay, sounds good. All right. Well, cool, man. Thanks again. Bye.